This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. As we continue our series, five things God uses to grow your faith. We, we asked a question last week that I hope stuck with you a little bit, which was simply this. Imagine, imagine if you had 100% confidence I mean rock-solid confidence that there is a God in this world. And it's not just a distant God, but that God is actually a personal God. That God knows you, that God sees you even right now in this moment. That God is fond of you. That God actually loves you. That God is like a perfect father who, whose eyes light up when his child runs to him. Imagine what it would be like to have the kind of confidence in God that when you're on top of the world, you know it's God who has guided you to be there. And when it feels like the world is on top of you and you might get crushed by the weight of it, you know that the God who allowed you to get to that moment is a God who will see you through that moment. Imagine how fear might flee if you believed that God was with you in those moments. Imagine how contentment might grow. Imagine what it might do in your relationships if you didn't feel like you had to defend yourself all the time because there was this like perfect God who was actually on your side defending you. Imagine what forgiveness would begin to look like if if you believed that this God had forgiven you even before you asked God to And then invites you to give forgiveness freely as you had received it. Well, as we look through the pages of the Old and New Testament, this is exactly the picture that we get. We get a picture of of a God who is working tirelessly to restore our confidence in him. We saw last week that in the very beginning of human history, the relationship between God and people broke, but it wasn't because people simply disobeyed. It was deeper than that. It was that people had lost their confidence or their trust that God was actually good and actually for them and that God wasn't holding out on them. And because they lost their confidence in God, they decided to live their own way and that broke the relationship. And so Jesus steps on the pages of human history, and Jesus doesn't give us 20 more rules to follow. In fact, he boils down a whole, whole bunch of rules to two, and ultimately to one. And it's all about rebuilding our trust or our confidence in God. And what I want to do in this teaching series is I want to talk to us about a reality that every single one of us will experience at some point in this journey of learning to build our confidence or our trust, or I'll use this word throughout our morning, our faith. And faith is simply a word that has to do with trusting God enough to try. Trusting God enough to say, I have just enough confidence in you that even though this doesn't make sense to me or I don't understand how it's going to work, I'll take a step to try. That is biblical faith. And I want to talk about this phenomenon that every one of us will experience, which is simply this. At some point in our journey, we will begin to ask the question either subconsciously or we will vocalize it to our life group, uh, to a ministry leader, to our spouse. We'll ask this question, how do I actually grow in my confidence in God? Because I feel like it's plateaued. That's the subtext of it. We'll get to a place in our journey where we will feel like I was growing in my confidence and my trust and my faith and growing and growing. And then all of a sudden, I feel like I hit this wall or this cap or I got to this precipice and it just stopped. And then we begin to ask, 
Whose fault is it that it stopped? And most of us start by saying, well, it must be my fault, but we can't carry the weight of that. So then we look outside. Well, maybe it's the church's fault. Maybe it's my spouse's fault. It's my kids. Before I had kids, man, I was growing like crazy in my trust in God. Then those darn kids came in. They're pooping all the time and they're testing my patience. Nah. Maybe it's my, maybe it's my life group or my small group. They, they're just not feeding me what I need. We need to, we all have hypothesis of why we're not. And so what we're endeavoring to do as a teaching team in this church is we are endeavoring for the next five weeks to communicate to this community five catalysts or five things God uses to grow your faith. We're, we're taking the last 20 years of things that we've learned about how and why we grow, and we're pulling the curtain back, and we're saying, this is what we understand. If you surveyed 100 people, 99 of them would say that these five catalysts are things that God used to grow their faith. And if you and I are totally honest with ourselves, if we look at these five catalysts and we feel like we've plateaued, more likely than not, one or two or three of these are not active in our lives. And so what we want to do is talk about these five for the next five weeks and get really honest. It's going to be a weird sermon because it's more like this is why we do what we do as opposed to what we do. So let's just go over the five things that God uses to grow your faith. And they're in your notes and they're up on the screen. Practical teaching, providential relationships, the kind of relationships where you would say, he moved in next door. She moved in next door. They got a cubicle next to me. Uh, I joined this small group. I started having coffee with this friend, and it just seemed like a good thing. But over the course of time, I look back and I realize it's almost like God dropped them down into my life. It's almost providential that God used them to grow my faith. Personal spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices, these are things that we do on our own to engage with God. If you ask people, man, tell me what grew your faith. They'd say things like, well, I learned how to pray my own words. I learned how to read the Bible for myself. Um, I, I learned how to fast, which is this process of maybe foregoing a meal or foregoing something in order to center ourselves or focus on God. One of our worship leaders, Cody, talked about stopping listening to music for three days. That's a form of a fast, simply to kind of get rid of all the noise around him and hear from God's. Or they'll talk about pivotal circumstances, things that happened in their life, both good or bad, where they realized, oh, God really is here in personal ministry. When we talk about knowing your go, which is one of our key things for this next two years, when we say go, we're talking about our strategic area of service influence. And, and part of that is getting outside of ourselves and living beyond ourselves. And when we do that, we meet God. And I want to talk about the one of these that for me personally— almost had me leave this church. That's when you're supposed to gasp and say, no, thank God you didn't leave. That's, you're all supposed to, you've missed that moment. I'll try to set it up better for second service. So here's the backstory. I was 25. It was almost 12 years ago. I was not a pastor at this church. I was a member of this church. I was sitting right where you are. I had just finished a season of life where you could find me every weekend at the Phoenix Theater. I had big spiked bleached hair, engaged ears. I was stage diving to save Ferris. I was having the time of my life. Mighty, mighty boss tones were hitting the scene. It was awesome. And I started coming to this church when I was 21. And four years into coming to this church, I had this realization. I was sitting somewhere equivalent. We were in a different building, but somewhere equivalent to about the third row in the middle. 
And our founding pastor, Ron, was up speaking. And I realized something. I know what he's going to say. I've heard this before. I know where he's going. I thought to myself, I don't like that feeling. I want, I want to be intrigued. Teach me something I don't know. Show me something I haven't seen before. Come on! But the reality was I had been a Jesus follower for six years at that point, And I had gone to church pretty much every weekend since becoming a follower of Jesus. And I went to a coffee shop with some friends that afternoon because I was kind of plateaued in my confidence in God. I had hit a certain plateau and I was not growing past it. And I sat down with some friends over coffee and I said to them, this is my opening line because I like to lead big and then backfill. I said, I'm, I'm probably going to leave new life. And they said, what? Why? What are you talking about? I said, well, here's the thing. I love Pastor Ron. He's a great guy. I love the community. I love what we're doing. I love the fact that we're trying to reach people who are far from Jesus and, and create environments that are irresistible for people to come and connect with God. I love all that. But I've been coming for the last month and realized I pretty much always know what he's going to say. The teaching, like it was really engaging to begin with, but now four years into being here, I feel like we're just cycling through the same old stuff. And they challenged me with something that I'm going to challenge you with today. Because this is not a place where you raise your hand. I, I don't literally have the identity to take that crushing blow. <laughs> but my sense is that some of us, and maybe, maybe you're not here anymore, but some of us have come to a moment at New Life or a different church, and that's why you're at New Life, where you had that same experience where it was all fresh and new in the beginning, but then you were coming and you couldn't get enough of church. You were here week after week after week. You were in small groups. You were, you were doing it. And then three or four or five years in, you realized, I know all this stuff already. And our tendency when we feel like we know all the stuff is to go somewhere else, to a different church where we feel like we can learn new stuff. Here's the problem. If you're there for three or four years, eventually you're going to know all that stuff already too. So we have to figure out what's going on. What's the purpose of Sunday morning? What's the purpose of a communicator standing on stage, opening the pages of the Bible, and trying to help us connect with God? What are we trying to do in this space every week? And that takes us to our first thing. If you asked 100 people, what did God use to grow your faith? 99 out of that 100 would probably say, the first thing that God used to grow my faith was practical teaching. Practical teaching. Or maybe to, to put a bigger spin on it, practical biblical teaching. They would say something like this. I started going to a small group and the person took the pages of the Bible from the first century and translated it into the 21st century and then told me what to do with what I was learning. It was practical. Or I started going to Young Life, which is this great high school and junior high ministry that gets onto campuses and reaches students where they are and, and then invites them to come. And one of the communicators shared a simple story and it just grabbed me and it changed the way that I thought about life because I realized the Bible isn't this irrelevant ancient book. It actually has relevance here today in the 21st century. Or I started going to New Life or this church and the pastor translated what was happening in the Bible times into today. And all of a sudden it grabbed me. They'd say, my faith began to grow when I started to hear practical biblical teaching. And here's the thing about Jesus. 
when Jesus stepped onto the pages of history and Jesus began to take the pages of what we know as the Old Testament of the Bible, the Jewish people would have just called it the Bible, their Bible, the stories of God throughout history, Jesus began to teach those stories and everyone who listened to him said this really interesting phrase. He teaches like someone who has authority, not like our teachers of the law. And here's why Jesus was different than the teachers of the law. The teachers of the law, these Jewish priests or rabbis, they were content talking about what. This is what the Bible says. But Jesus was not content to simply cover material. He wasn't content just to cover the what of the pages of the Bible. Let's be honest. Jesus could have been and was the best Bible teacher maybe to ever live. I mean, he was there as the stories were written. He orchestrated the things that were happening. If you want to know about ancient languages, he created them. So thank you, Maria, for laughing at that. Uh, That's my wife, everybody. Who told me I couldn't wear my beanie on stage today, but that's okay. I'm working through it. We're going to talk. My poor bald head was getting so cold, but luckily these lights have warmed me up. Never mind. Scratch that. So the religious leaders were content talking about what? Jesus didn't stop there. He could have told you every ancient language and every nuance he wanted to, but Jesus went on, and it's your next teaching note. He interpreted the Bible. He interpreted the Bible. He said, so what? So what? What does it mean? He took it from the pages of history to right now. So what? And then he gave people a way to apply the things that he taught. Now what? So Jesus, in his communication, went through a cycle. What? What's it say? So what? What's it mean? Now what? What do I do? And everyone who heard him was in awe of him. And they said he teaches with an authority that we do not hear from the other religious leaders. Why? Because he taught practical, biblical application. Jesus was so big on this that he actually spent an entire sermon talking about why he did it. And we find it in the pages of a biography of Jesus' life called the book of Matthew. And we find it right after Jesus gives this great sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. So he, he gives this, this collection of messages up on a hillside as he's talking to groups of people. And the whole collection of messages focuses around this. You can have confidence in God that God is good, that God is for you, that God is with you, that God wants to partner with you, that God wants to forgive you and bless you and bring you into his family. You can have confidence in God and then you can live out that confidence in your everyday life. It's really incredible. If you don't read the Bible, you should read the Bible. There's good stuff. Jesus talks in this sermon about things like trust in God leads to peace in life. And every one of us would probably like a little more peace in our life. Trust leads to peace. He says things like service makes friends out of enemies. And so he says, if you have an enemy, the best way to make them a friend is to serve them and love them. It's, it's revolutionary stuff. He says that generosity which this is why I love practicing it. Generosity leads to contentment. Do you have a lack of contentment in your life? Practice generosity. Figure out what really matters most and it will actually lead you to contentment. He talks about things like fidelity leads to intimacy. 
one person forever in the ups and downs and the ins and outs and the hard relationship, that's what will lead you to true intimacy. It's incredible teaching. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that was blowing people's minds. And then he gets to the end of this message and he says, you can trust God, but let me tell you something. Trust won't change your life. I mean, it will in in the eternal sense, but in the here and now, because this whole message is about how to do things with the confidence you have in God. At the end of this message, he says, if you want to change your life now, trust alone won't do it. Trust in action will change your life. Trust won't. Hearing a good message won't. Church attendance won't. Trust in action will. It's so good. He gets to the end of this message, and that's where we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. And he gives a whole little second sermon on why he taught the way he taught. And I'll tell you a little secret. This is why we teach at New Life the way we teach. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. If you want there to be a difference in your life, and I would say we all do. That's why we're here. We want there to be a difference in our life. We want the trajectory of our life to be going up and to the right, not down and to the left. We want to have a, 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 better, a better marriage in five years than we do now. We want to have a better friendship sphere in two years than we do right now. We, we want to be financially more viable in three years than we are right now. We want to break that addiction that, we ha- that has control over us. We want to gain control over it as we move forward in our life. Jesus says, if you want, if you want to have real transformation in your life, it's going to come by putting into practice the things that you're learning. Here's why this is important. Because if a lot of us who grew up in church, we thought attendance was the end game. It's Sunday morning, we go to church. That's what we do. Hopefully it won't be boring. If it is, we can give an hour, you know, 45 minutes. You know, in some of our traditions, we knew exactly when communion was, so we'd sneak in a little bit late, grab communion, head out the back. I know, I was with you. So we hope it's not boring, but in reality, church attendance became a checklist. And we thought, if I just go enough, it'll change my life. And, and maybe you had 100% attendance, and you got to a really, really hard moment. And you got to, you fell on your knees, and you said, God, I've been at church every week. Why is my life falling apart? And it's, Jesus would say to you, it's because church attendance isn't the end game. Sitting your butt in a seat is not going to change your life. Your bottom or your tush in a seat is not going to change your life. Doing something with what you've heard week after week after week will change your life. Engaging with God on a tough thing. Coming face to face on a, on a Sunday morning or as you read the Bible with something that you don't like or just flat out don't agree with and actually having a conversation with God about it rather than turning the page or saying, thank goodness that teaching series is over. Actually engaging with God, actually talking to people and saying, I'm really struggling with this. And my tendency is to be mad at Kevin because he's the one who said it, but really Kevin didn't write it. He's just reading it. 
So I'm really actually mad at God. I want to talk about that. That'll change your life. Because ultimately, God does not want something from you. He wants something for you. And any time that we feel like God is trying to take something from us, it's because we ultimately want to grow in our confidence in him. And the best way to grow in our confidence is to actually do something with what we are learning. And we don't, we don't act to gain God's favor. Some of us grew up in this wonky church paradigm where it's like, if I just do enough good stuff, then God will be happy with me. Now, we don't act to gain God's favor. We already have God's favor. You're God's child. My little man Landon is six years old. And he's really wrestling with trying to figure out who he is. Is he, is he really good enough? You know, I don't know. Some different kids have different styles when they come in. He wonders sometimes, do I matter? Am I good enough? And I look at this kid, and honestly, I feel like the sun rises and sets in his eyes. Like, I look at this kid. He does, he does things he shouldn't be doing, and I have so, it's so hard to punish him because it's just like, you're so incredible. Like, you are awesome. I love you so much. And so I was praying a couple weeks ago, what do I do? How do I help my son remember who he is? And so I created this little jar, glass, I didn't create the jar. <laughs> Got the jar out of a cabinet. And I put a little piece of paper on it that said, who I am. And then I took a piece of paper and I just cut it into little slices and then I just wrote down 15 things about him. I am smart. I am kind. I am fun. I am friendly. I am generous. I am strong. You should see his muscles. He's like baby Hercules. I am strong. And, and every morning when he wakes up, I just give him one of these little cards. And then I have him read it. My buddy John said to me, don't read it to him. Have him read it out loud so he can say the thing about himself that is true. So every morning when he wakes up, and now he loves it, he comes to me, Dad, can I have my Who I Am card today? It's only been a week and a half. The kid loves it. Why? I wanted him to know that he does not have to gain his dad's favor. He already has it. I want him to live in who he really is, not try to measure up to who he thinks he should be. And then just two days ago, he came out to me with a little slip of paper. And he said, Dad, I made you a Who I Am card. And I looked at it, and his little first grade writing, it said, you are a good dad. Oh, Lord. I was like, go ahead. You, yeah, I'm thinking, you can do anything wrong you want. Go ahead, son. Go, sweet Jesus. So some of us grew up in this wonky church paradigm where we thought that we had to do the right things to gain God's favor. You already have God's favor. He created you. He knows you. And God don't make junk. So now we try these things to live out the favor we already have. And as we do, it grows our confidence in God. Notice what Jesus says next. He says, uh, the rain came down. This is life. He said, let's um, flip back one verse to 725 if we've got it. He says, this is life. Rain comes down and streams rise up and the wind blew and beat against the house, but the house did not fall because it had its foundation on a rock. The people thrived because they had put into action the words of Jesus. I can guarantee one thing. I can guarantee with 100% certainty that you will have uncertainty in your life. 
I can guarantee that you will have seasons where you're on top of the world and seasons where the world is on top of you. You know the difference between a life that falls apart in those moments and a life that doesn't? A person who has built their house on the rock. Jesus goes on to give the converse. He says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish person who built their house on sand and the rain came down and the streams rose up and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. Even though they had perfect church attendance, they walked out and didn't do anything. They were unchanged. There's a guy named James who wrote a letter in the New Testament. He's the half-brother of Jesus. And he didn't believe Jesus was the son of God when Jesus walked this earth. But then he saw Jesus die. And then a couple days later, he saw Jesus alive again. He came to believe. And I want to ask you, what would it take for you to believe that your brother was the unique son of God and God in the flesh? You say they'd have to rise from the dead. I think James is probably the most convincing proof there is that Jesus really did rise from the dead because no one of us would believe our brother was God unless they rose from the dead, and we'd still have doubts after that. (laughs) James said, it's crazy foolish to hear words of truth and not act on them. He said, it's like looking at yourself in a mirror and turning away and forgetting what you look like. He says this, Why do we stand in front of the mirror? We stand in front of the mirror to to look better. How do you know when you're done in front of the mirror? When you realize that's as good as I'm going to look, right? Like, that's it. He says, it's like looking in front of a mirror, not doing anything with what you see. It's like, it's crazy. And they're just going to forgetting what you look like. Paul, who was a, a growth expert, a church growth and a faith growth expert, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, he literally wrote the book on how to grow your faith. He said, knowledge will not change your life. Don't look for the next Greek word or the next Hebrew word. Don't look for the next person to say, teach you something where you're like, oh, I never thought about that. It won't change your life. All knowledge without action will do is puff you up and make you arrogant and conceited. But love in action will transform your life. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not like the teachers of the law. All right, so back to my story. I'm 25 years old, and like our friend Cody up on stage, I was pretty sure I knew everything about everything. The older I get, the the more I realize how little I know. And I'm 25 years old, and I said to my friends in this coffee shop, I remember like it was yesterday, I said, I think I'm leaving New Life. I know all the stuff already. I know what Ron's going to say. What's the point in even coming? And I had a few providential relationships. People who held a mirror up to me, and they asked me this question. Well, what are you doing with what you're learning? I said, I'm taking notes on it. (laughs) They give me a note sheet. Well, what are you doing with your notes? I said, "Uh, I'm a good person. I'm recycling them. What am I doing with what I'm learning? Nothing. Nothing. And right then and there, I decided, I need to actually start doing something with what I'm learning. Because I'm just becoming an arrogant, conceited son of a gun. And I'm so thankful I did. 
That was 11 years ago. I started coming to church differently, listening differently, walking out thinking, what's the one thing that I'm going to do with what I learned? What's one thing I can do? And I love it. It's, it's changed my life. God has changed my life. I'm so thankful that I did. In the course of this 11 years, I've learned that generosity really does bring contentment. I started tithing, giving the first 10% of my income before taxes back to God. And it prioritized for me all of the rest of my money. And then I got to increase 11% and 12 and, and on and on. And I've seen the blessing of God in my contentment. I've seen the blessing of God in the fact that when we give generously, oftentimes people respond to generosity back. I can't even tell you all the things God has done there. I learned that debt is bad. That there are two types of the people in this world. And I think my buddy told me this too, so I want to give him credit. People uh, who pay interest and people who earn interest. He said, what kind of person do you want to be? person who pays interest or a person who earns interest. Debt is bad. The borrower is the slave to the lender. That's why they call it MasterCard. <laughs> no one goes to the mailbox and is like, yes, my credit card statement. Woo! No. Nobody. I learned. Before I got married, oftentimes we think, I'm not married. A marriage sermon doesn't matter for me. I'm not married yet. I don't have kids yet. What's the point? I learned before I got married. That when I say I do, what I mean is I intend to. Because the truth is, none of us knows what we're saying when we say I do. It's always way harder than we thought. But I learned that fidelity in the hard moments is what builds intimacy for a lifelong relationship. I didn't sit there and say, well, I'm not married. This sermon doesn't matter to me. I started thinking, when I get married, what kind of person do I want to be? You know, I know you listen differently when you have kids, but if you don't have kids right now, we're talking about parenting. Dude, don't wait until you have to learn from the school of hard knocks. Learn it now. Learn it now. I'm so glad. My son gave me that card, and it's not because I'm such a great dad. In fact, I don't know how you guys feel. More often than not, I feel like I'm doing the best I can, but it's not really the best, you know. More often than not, I think I need to have a separate saving category for counseling for my children because I know I'm screwing them up. I don't know how, but I know I am. Am I the only one? No. So when my son gives me a card that says, you are a good dad, it's not because I'm so special. It's because I've learned to apply every day the things that God is showing me. And you know what? God's showing up in the moment. God prompted me that morning to start writing him little cards. I didn't think that's a good idea. I should, I should ponder that for a while. I'm going to take some notes on that. No, I started writing him cards. You're laying in bed and you think, I need to start telling my spouse I love them more. Don't take a note about it. Write a note about it. See if God doesn't change your life. Listen, I believe in this so much. I'm the key communicator for our church now. I preach probably three out of four Sundays. I believe in this so much that every week I listen to at least two different messages and ask myself, what can I apply? From different pastors around the country. That's how much I believe in this. And I can tell you this, it's a fun game I like to play. In the first five minutes of their message, I can almost always guarantee what the topic is, 
what the Bible passage is going to be and what the application is. I can almost always guarantee it. But it doesn't mean I stop listening. It means that I start asking God, am I applying what I'm learning today? If you want your faith to grow, don't just be a hearer, be a doer. Okay, so the question you should be asking is, how do I apply this? Because it's time for us to go home. How about this? If you want to increase your chances to grow in your faith in Jesus regularly, on a rhythm, I would suggest daily by yourself, weekly in a small group, and weekly in a large church gathering. Engage in a church or a community where the Bible is taught with fiercely practical application. And then do something with what you are hearing. If you walk away from church and you think, oh man, I never thought about that before. I need to really chew on that. I'm winning and you're winning. We're all winning. If you walk away and you're having an argument with me in your head, I don't like that, I don't like that. You know what? You're doing your job. You're engaging with God. That's a win. And I'm winning. If you leave and you're mad at me, that's okay. Jesus preached a sermon one time. People took him to the edge of a city to stone him. To stone him. To kill him. It wasn't even legal. They just stoned him. And, and they tried to kill him and he's Jesus. And they didn't, you haven't tried to kill me yet, which I appreciate, but we do have a security team just in case. If you leave church on a Sunday morning and you think I've already heard that before and you do no further internal processing, you haven't done your job. And you know who's going to get the brunt of that? Everybody. You will because your faith will get stuck. We will because your faith will get stuck. God has called together a community of people who are unstuck in our journey. God loves you. God knows you. God has a plan for you, and God wants to grow your trust in him. Next week, we're going to talk even more about the second catalyst that God uses to grow your faith. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you that you taught with authority But you didn't teach with complexity to where only a very few could understand what you were saying. You taught with authority, and at the same time, you taught with simplicity. It was practical. It was applicable. A child could understand. Someone who had followed you for their entire lives could be convicted and challenged and take steps. Jesus, thank you that you have a handful of very life-changing themes that you desire to walk your community through, would you show us how to be a group of people who does not simply hear but acts on what we're learning because we want to grow in our confidence in you and our confidence grows as we listen to what you say, as we translate it into the 21st century and then take action. So would you show us what to do with the things you're showing us every week? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.